I'm Jared. Hi, everybody. How are we doing? Uh, like I already said, I kind of already ha had a hectic morning. Everything was planned, like, down to the minute. I was, um, you know, not working on my sermon until 10.15. I was. Um, and so, you know, we were planning on getting on, the, getting on the Uber, and no one told us that there was, like, a five-borough bike race today. Um, which stopped everything, like the bridges weren't working and like everything. So I was stressed because my Uber driver didn't show up for like 20 minutes and then my Uber driver was stressed. That's not a good combo when everyone in the car is mad. So um, <laughs> I felt bad, but at, at like the gas station on like 48th and Jackson or something, I was like, pull over, I'm going to run past these bicyclists and get to church. So I'm here, but we're all, we're all here, and, and it's, it's good to be here to um, talk about Jesus and to enjoy this morning with you. Um, it's, a, it's a joy to be back. Uh, we started last week talking about, about Peter, but before I, I, I get started, I want to, uh, I, one of my Tandonites, my NYU Tandon School of Engineering students is here. He made it from Brooklyn today. So I, I'm complaining about making it like 20 blocks, and he came from downtown Brooklyn, so... Um, I just can't uh, complain that much. His name is Elliot. You should meet him. Um, it's good to be back. So last week we talked about Peter. We, we uh, started a four-week series on Peter called More Than. And we looked at uh, Peter's legacy. We started off by looking at Peter's legacy. And his legacy is incredible. He's, he's got a lot of great credits to his resume. Um, but we also talked about how you can't separate those from his failures. And that you really have to learn about his legacy through his failures. And that um, his failures were, were huge. And that Jesus taught him so much through his failures. And last week we specifically looked at this idea of worth. What gives someone worth? Where do you get your worth and your value from? And that if you're unsure of your worth, you will protect your reputation at all costs. You will do anything you can to win approval. You'll make promises you'll never be able to keep. You will take rash action to win value from people. But all of these things are fleeting. And we found that the only way to really live a more than life, a life that is completely different than what we see, is by loving Christ. That the only way to be sure of your worth is to love Christ. Because Christ loved you in the midst of your failures. In the depths of your failures, in your worst possible moment, Jesus loved you. And that is an unending source of worth that you can find. And so when you, when you begin loving Christ, you tap into this unending source of worth. Being, living more than is being freed from the prison of reputation. That's what we talked about last week. And this week, we're going to continue with this more than theme, um, but w how we're going to do that is we are going to, um, we're going to start off again with a story from Acts. Um, there, there's kind of a pattern, you, you guys can notice this, where we're looking at Acts and then we're looking back at Peter's life. And we're going to start off with Acts, and I'm going to give you a kind of a, 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 a brief overview of Acts, hopefully in story form. Um, Acts uh, is a fantastic book if you like action. And if you like uh, movies and story and narrative, Acts tells this amazing narrative of God's people going from 12 dudes terrified in an upper room to this worldwide movement by the end of the book. And it's amazing. And sort of the, the heading of Acts, Acts 1-8, it 
this, this uh, gives us the theme for the rest of the book. Uh, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will receive power, power when my Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And these are three categories then that Acts moves through of the gospel reaching. And we see in the first uh, like seven chapters, Jerusalem. We see the gospel transform Jerusalem, mostly through Peter's leadership. And Peter is on fire in Acts 1 through 7. Bro is just spitting fire, and the people are turning, like, by the thousands. That's not a hyperbole. They're turning to Christ by the thousands. And Peter is, is a part of that movement, and he, and he galvanizes, and he, and he leads, and, and he motivates. And, and we see that Peter is, is kind of the main character here. Then, in Acts chapter 6, uh, we get this other guy named Stephen. And Stephen is this humble dude who was asked to go do community service, essentially. And in the middle of doing community service, the, uh, the leaders in Jerusalem, the Jewish leaders, had had enough. And so they, they decide to pull Stephen aside and make an example of him, thinking that this is just some guy doing community service. And then Stephen gives what I, th- I mean, it's kind of a tragedy that I don't get to talk about Stephen this morning. I'm talking about worship. Stephen gives what may be the best sermon on worship in the Bible. I love it. He paints this amazing, and they're probably not ready, right? They're like, okay, one dude, this, one, one moment this guy's like serving soup, and now he's like smarter than the rest of us, and we don't know what to do with it. And they kill him. And one of the guys that kills him, his name is Saul. He oversees this. And we get this introduction to this guy named Saul. But, at, this, at the point right before Stephen had been killed, the gospel had only been to Jerusalem, and God said, that's not enough. We got to get it to Judea and Samaria. Stephen dies, and what happens? Everybody panics, and they spread. They run. And so then you have, uh, for a couple chapters, the, the gospel moving into Judea and Samaria because they're terrified. But they keep converting people because Jesus is worth it, and it's freedom. And so all of a sudden, you've got Judea and Samaria engaged in the gospel. And then you have this, this interesting uh, point in the story with this guy named Saul, who was persecuting the church, which is uh, Christian language for he was killing a lot of people. He was overseeing the murder, the murder of a lot of people. And Jesus grabs a hold of him and says, no more. It's time that you are going to be my servant to the house of Israel and to the Gentiles. See, the gospel had gone through Judea and Samaria and Jerusalem, but it hadn't gone to the ends of the earth yet. And Paul was that guy. So you have, you have this kind of crescendo, right? You can feel the gospel expanding and expanding. And we haven't heard from Peter in a little bit. And Peter shows up a couple times. He heals people. It's kind of normal stuff for him. But then in chapter 10... In what I think chapter 10 and 11 are, might be the most important chapters in the Bible for us, that's an extreme statement, right? But then you get in chapter 10, this guy named Cornelius. And you're like, who's this bro? Like, why are we introducing him this late in the story? And Cornelius is a Roman soldier, pretty high up, and it says he was a member of the Italian Guard, which means that he was, a, he, he was like a Roman of Romans. Like, this dude 
embodied Gentile in a person. And God speaks to him and says, I've heard you. Go and get Peter. And Peter has one more part to play in this story. He's got a couple, really. But in the Acts narrative, he's got one really, really big part to play. And what Peter then does, that we'll talk about later, foreshadowing, um, that he's going to put his worship of Jesus to action. And we get this amazing picture of what worship really is. It's not just singing. He puts it to action. And what he does with the gospel is so important. And that's what we're going to see later on. Worship. I've used that word a, a few times. Worship. It's our next characteristic of being more than. Of living a more than life. Of leaving a legacy that matters. It starts with worship. Worship defined is uh, proper surrender to God. Now, when you hear the word surrender, how does your heart feel? Right? Like, nope, not me. I'm not surrendering, right? These colors don't run. We are not a surrendering species. I am not a surrendering person, naturally. I don't know if you can tell. Maybe your depth perception kind of stuff. I'm pretty short. Um, and when I was 11 years old, my doctor told me, you should, you should quit right now playing basketball. Just quit. There's no point. You were, he, he actually told me I was going to end up being 5'8". I ended up being 5'6", so what up? <laughs> um, <laughs> so he, he said, you're never going to play basketball. And I remember telling my, my dad that day, I'm going to play varsity my freshman year. I did. However... It was to punish <laughs> the varsity people who were playing poorly. So I don't know, like, I, don't, I took it as a W. They're like, they're like get out. Get, I'm putting the freshman out. I'm like, so long, sucker. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm not a surrendering person. When I hear surrender, I say no, never, right? We had people tell us that you will never, ever make it to the city of New York. Ever. She's not going to do it. Too, too, much, too many things to, to overcome. And something in me was like, mm, I'm going to make it. <laughs> you know, like, like and, and, and there was a temptation to be like, the first call when I, when I got in my apartment was to be with these people, right? Like, I made it, you know? We don't like the word surrender. And it doesn't have great connotations in history, right? Usually surrender means it, it gives you pictures of a conflict, of a war, of someone forcing someone else to surrender. We have all these connotations. But really what it boils down to with worship is who am I surrendering to? And is that person worth it? Is who I'm surrendering, who I'm worshiping, worth it? And Jesus is. And that's what we're going to see today. We're going we're to learn a couple of lessons of reasons why we don't worship from Peter's life. So we're going to go back and look at his failures, of course. We're going to go back and look at his failures and, and learn, pull out two reasons why we don't worship. What motivates us towards never worshiping. And we're going to see two reasons why Jesus is so worth it. Why he is worthy. So let me pause. We're going to be in Luke 9, 28 through uh, 36 this morning. Um, let me pause again. I'm going to pray and um, ask that Jesus would give us a worshiping heart. God, would you uh, move this morning and move us towards worship, towards understanding what it means to worship you. 
God, would you help us to, to, to set aside our, what, whatever distractions, whatever reasons we have, just, just, just suspend them for a moment and listen to you and look to you and hear from you. Thank you for your word, your name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to read the passage, and then um, we'll, we'll explain it a little bit more. Now, about eight days after these saying, sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as they were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he had said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out from the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. So this story is called the Transfiguration. If you're paying attention to the, to the heading. And it's... Uh, in, it, one of the most underrated stories about Jesus, I think. Um, it's, it's extremely important, but here's, here's to, to kind of recap the story for you. So Jesus decides to go up on a mountain and pray, and he grabs his oldest disciple and his two youngest, who were probably were in middle school at the time, middle school age, 11 to, to 14. So, so Jesus grabs Peter and two middle schoolers and goes up on a mountain to pray. And I, and I think that that picture is kind of funny, don't you? Like Peter, who's so obsessed with status— hanging out with 12 and 13-year-olds, you know? Peter and the Pips, and he's probably annoyed. They're probably like, when are we there? Are we done yet? Like, very normal 12 and 13-year-old things, right? And Jesus picks them to be on a squad. I, I love it. So they, they go up on the mountain, and they're, they're supposed to pray. And, and uh, the, another, um, this, this story occurs three times, and all three, Peter, James, and John fall asleep while praying. They're going to do that another time. They fall asleep while praying, and uh, when they wake up, I can't imagine the shock to what they woke up to. And we're going to focus on, on a couple words. The first word is, is, has to do with their shock. Altered or transfigured. Some of your versions will say transfigured. Altered and then tense. These are the two words that will kind of guide our, our time. But Jesus was altered. Which is to say that he was glowing. And it says dazzling white. This, the words that are used here are, are made to think that maybe he looked kind of like Thor Ragnaroky. Like he's got lightning coming out from everything. And it, like, it, like he's, he's dazzling. Can you imagine waking up from a nap to that? I'd freak out. And not only that is he altered, but there are Moses and Elijah. Now remember, they didn't have like paintings back then that were like really good renderings or photos. I wonder at what point they realized it was Moses and Elijah. You know, if they wake up, they're like, who are these dudes? What? When did they get here? He just called one of them Moses. Oh my gosh, that's Moses, you know? Like, like what happened in, in their mind? But he's there and he's altered. 
And, and th- this altered Jesus is so significant um, because it's Jesus in his glorified form. What Jesus is supposed to look like, what he really looks like in his glorified f- form. And he is the only person to ever earn that himself. No one else earns their glorified form. Jesus was it. He is the first and only one to earn Ragnarok status, right? To earn this glorious, beautiful vision. And he earned that, not just because he said so, but because he followed through with with things that we can't possibly imagine. Scripture tells us that Jesus was perfectly obedient He was the creator. He invented life. Yet he surrendered himself to someone else. Perfectly obedient. Later on, we would find out that he conquered death. He beat death. That gives him what scripture calls him preeminence over everything. Which means that he's better than anything. He is the king of kings, the lord of lords. No one would go to the cross to save a creation that spat and and rebelled against him, but him. He earned this glorified status, and furthermore, he chose to be our friend. So not only is he king of kings, but he's our friend. Jesus earned this glorified status, and here he is in glory. Now, Peter didn't know all the things I just listed out, but there should have been a recognition of this guy is different. This guy is different. No one else has ever appeared like this. I've seen him do countless miracles. And Peter decides it's a good time to open his mouth. The first reason, uh, and the reason I stress this so hard, the first reason that we don't worship is because we don't see the real Jesus. Peter really didn't see what was going on here. He didn't really grasp that this was not the time to talk. <laughs> he didn't grasp that everyone who had, who had even glimpsed a part of God's glory in the Old Testament either died or fell on their faces in reverence. He didn't really see him. And the reason I gave you that, that long list is because, I, I don't know about you, but I struggle to, to do this as well to see the real Jesus. And this is what I mean by the real Jesus, is that I, I, I'm not saying that there's some definition that I have that's better than yours. What I'm saying is that he, he is so much more complex and there's so many more characteristics to him to find out than you could possibly imagine. And someone challenged me a, a while ago on, hey, Jared, how do you pray? It's like, what do you, well, I, don't, I don't know, I pray. It's like, well, what, what do you address God as? that kind of tells you how you see Jesus, right? So last week, we saw this beautiful picture of Jesus being a friend in the midst of your failure. And he is that. But he is also the glorified Lord of Lords and King of Kings, which actually makes him being your friend so much cooler, (laughs) right? But he's not just that. He's the Prince of Peace, the wonderful Counselor, you know, the Lion of Judah. He is so many things, and, and we need to be challenged all the time to see the real Jesus. 
Because this leads you to worship. Because if you get stagnant in one characteristic, your worship gets stagnant, right? If you only see Jesus as your friend for 30 years, eventually that's, that's going to get old. If you only see Jesus as your Lord, you're going to get exhausted. We need to be challenged to, to really look at Jesus. And, the, and what I love about this is that this takes time. This is not one of those things where you can like, you're going to go home from church and you're going to Google like some article and you'll be like, all right, all of the names of Jesus, got it. You know, like, like I, I have it all and I will engage with God these ways. I'm always finding new ways that Jesus relates to me. And it's awesome. We need to see the real Jesus, the, the, the complex, the, you know, the, the, the beautiful diamond, as it were, right? To see it from different angles. Who is Jesus? What are, what are his characteristics? Peter did not <laughs> in this moment. Peter did not. And Peter opened his mouth. The second word I said we're going to focus on wasn't just altered, but the, ne- the second word was tense. Now, tense, uh, some of your Bibles might even say tabernacles. And here's why this word is a big deal. This word is, is kind of the reason that God interrupts Peter. Sentence Peter probably never thought he was going to have to, like, God interrupted me. God interrupts Peter because Peter says, let's build some tents. Now, here's why. When Peter woke up, kind of dazed, right? No one really operates that well when they just wake up, you know? So I'm trying to give Peter a little bit of grace. But he, he wakes up, and he sees Jesus. And then he, and then he realizes this is Moses and Elijah. And, th- and they're walking away. And Peter thinks, this is a golden opportunity. When are the Avengers ever going to be this powerful? Right? When, when is the band going to be better? Never. This is the A team. And for a couple reasons. One, Elijah and Moses are, are seen as representing the law and the prophets, which the Old Testament can be summarized in the Law and Prophets, and what the Law and Prophets are, are to do. The law is to make you see that you need Jesus, and the prophets are made to see, so they make you to see that you need Jesus. They are both there to say, look, here's the law. You can't keep it. You'll never be able to keep it. The prophets say, that's okay. There's a Messiah, an anointed one coming. He's going to redeem everything. So here, here's Moses and Elijah, the Law and the Prophets. But furthermore, if you're Peter... And, and you might be thinking, okay, how are, how are we going to get this movement really started? You know, how are we going to get this thing going? First, we have to motivate Israel. We have to motivate the children of Israel to turn around. No one was better at that than Elijah. Elijah was, amaz- was used by God in an amazing way to say, Israel, turn around. And there's this amazing story that's pretty funny where Elijah has the showdown one on 700 where he's like, all right, you call down fire on this one, I'll call down fire on this one. And then Elijah starts to taunt. We're not sure if that's holy or not, but he does it. So Elijah's this guy who, through that, that story and a couple others, turns Israel back. So he's like, all right, we got Israel. And then we have Moses. Moses stood up to the, the largest empire in the world at that time and won. We got Israel and Rome right here. Right? We can take them right here. And those tents meant, Peter wasn't saying, let's go camping. He was saying, let's set up a worship center where we're going to gather to conquer, right? Over time, people are going to find out, oh my gosh, Moses is with Jesus and Elijah, right? 
And maybe Peter's thinking might even been as far as Jesus doesn't have enough traction yet, but if we can get him the status of having Moses and Elijah with him, we can get this thing going, right? So Peter has a plan to gather and conquer. The only problem is, is that he wasn't really listening to Jesus. That wasn't Jesus's plan. And this is, this is the reason, number two, why we don't worship. It's because we don't listen to Jesus. The reason that I'm saying that is earlier on um, in, this, in this story, it's not in the Luke story. Well, the, a part of it is, but in this story, Jesus says, I'm going to go die. I am going to die. My plan is to sacrifice myself. And he even like lists out all the people that are going to kill him and that he's going to be raised. And Peter doesn't like that plan. He says, no. You're not going to do that. And what's so funny is that just before, ironically, he had this whole discourse with Jesus about whether or not Jesus was Elijah or Moses. And Jesus says, who do you think I am? And Peter says, well, you're, you're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. And right there, Peter conf- or Jesus confirms with Peter, yeah, you're, you're the rock. I'm going to build my church on you. And it's amazing the grace that Jesus extends, right, to that guy, because he probably knew the next conversation they were going to have, Peter was going to question the very method by which Jesus was the, the anointed one. But Peter wasn't really listening. He wasn't really listening. He wasn't really listening to Jesus. And Jesus actually says to him before, I mean, it's amazing how much Peter wasn't listening. When, when Jesus says, I'm going to die and be raised, Jesus, Peter's like, no, you're not. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. I'm not going to listen to you. Can you imagine being Peter? And how awkward that, that moment was after Jesus left. You know, like that moment when, when some, some kid or someone gets like chastised and no one else really knows how to like talk to him. You know, he's like, oh, that was awkward. Um, I gotta wait till clocks get invented. Um, <laughs> squirrel. Um, so he wasn't listening to Jesus. And furthermore, he wasn't just not listening to Jesus before. I love what it says here in the text. It says that Moses and Elijah were talking about Jesus' departure. And that departure is with a capital D. It wasn't a departure from the mountain. They weren't talking about Jesus walking away. They were talking about Jesus dying on a cross. Can you imagine being there? I don't, I, I get goosebumps thinking about it. Like Moses saying, wow, are you ready to do this? Are you ready? Because like everything that you asked me to do is kind of hinging on this. All of the law depends on this. And Elijah's like, I haven't even, I didn't even die. (laughs) Elijah was just taken up to heaven. He's like, I didn't even die. Are you ready to do this? This is a big deal. And Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm ready. And Peter heard this and still thought, we're going to gather to conquer. But Jesus' method is always sacrifice to multiply. That is Jesus' method. Not gather, multiply. Not, not, to, not to conquer, but to sacrifice. And he embodied that, right? He embodied that. He is that. His sacrifice is a multiplying message in, it, in and of itself. 
The Bible says that the gospel will bear fruit because it's the gospel. It just does because no one dies for enemies, let alone friends. Jesus sacrificed for his enemies. And Peter didn't get that. We need to listen. We need to listen. You know, I, um, a few years ago was talking about like, oh man, I wish I like, I could understand God's will for my life and how to make every decision and blah, blah, blah. And this guy, uh, very straightforward person, he said, grab your Bible. And I was like, oh shoot, <laughs> about to get rebuked. So I grabbed my Bible and he said, this contains probably 90% of what you need to know. Are you listening to it? He said that, like, when you think about the jar of your life, you got your big rocks, what your life is about, what your eternity is like, how you should behave around your spouse, how you should treat other people. Those are the big rocks. Everything else is a minor detail. I was like, all right, fine. Are we listening? Are we listening? Do we see this as the words of life, right? Are we, you know, with Moses and Elijah, are we listening to wise people around us? Are we really listening? And Peter wasn't at this moment. (laughs) But he learns. He learns. After God interrupts him, (laughs) the story just kind of ends. And, um, they, they just walk back down the mountain and Jesus says, don't talk about this until you, well, you'll know when. And I can't imagine what, like, when that moment was for Peter. You know, like, after he's like, oh, finally, I can tell them about the time that Jesus glowed. <laughs> you know, like, I've been holding on to this for so long. <laughs> it's been such a burden. And the story ends there. And what we're going to do is we're going to pick back up our story about Cornelius. So, Cornelius has this vision, go get, go get Peter. Peter is hiding somewhere, so it's pretty amazing that, that Cornelius found Peter. Peter's hiding. And uh, Peter, while Cornelius' uh, bros are going to get him, he has a vision while cooking dinner. And he has this vision where God puts this huge blanket over the earth and says, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter's like, I will never eat anything unclean. And God says something fantastic for us, mostly because it includes bacon. Just kidding. He says, what I have, what I have made clean, do not call common. And Peter kind of has this, oh no, here we go. And Peter goes and he sees Cornelius, this Gentile of Gentiles, and realizes the Holy Spirit has moved on them. And I've tried to get in God's, God's way and his plans a couple other times before. And I'm done. No more. And I want to remind you at this moment what, what the status of this movement is. Yes, it's spread out throughout Judea and Samaria. But it's vulnerable. There's, there's some central leadership in Jerusalem, but there's a pretty high risk of getting stoned to death for going to Jerusalem. The temptation, in, in my opinion, that this isn't in the Bible, but the temptation to gather to conquer might never have been stronger for Peter. 
We need, we need to gather our strength so that we can, we, can, we can finally unify this thing. Peter decides against it. He knows it's sacrifice to multiply. So he risks it for the biscuit, and he goes to Jerusalem, and he addresses the church leaders. Now, another important note here is that, again, I can't stress this enough, Paul had not really begun his ministry to the Gentiles. And at this point, the ministry of the Gentiles was, 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 very, was very small, very minimal. And Peter goes to the, to the leaders, the, the people in charge, the people that, that can provide the resources and time and people towards this mission. And he gives this amazing defense of what he had just seen with Cornelius. And it ends with Acts 11, 17, and 18. He says, If then God gave the same gift, the Holy Spirit gave us, when, uh, same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Probably the most underrated verse in the whole Bible to me. Because if Peter doesn't galvanize this thing, it may never have moved beyond some crazy dude named Paul wandering around the Mediterranean. But because Peter galvanized these people, all of a sudden we are about to watch in the book, you can watch this, this movement explodes in an unparalleled growth. I mean, this thing grows like crazy. And all of a sudden, they're sending people everywhere. And they're multiplying things everywhere. And Peter got to play this part. Because he, he saw Jesus for who he really was, right? We see this. Who am I to stand in God's way? Because God is God. And he listened, right? He listened. The Holy Spirit said this, and I'm going to listen. This is Peter's legacy. Is the gospel moving beyond just this small group in this, this weird region of the world to now the, the largest movement the world has ever seen? And when I think about the legacy I want to leave, right? We talked about this legacy thing last week and living a more than life. Do, do I want to leave a legacy where, where people worship me? You know? Where people give praise and their approval and they're, and, and they're, they're so enamored by me. Sure, that'd be nice. But I'll die and I'll, I'll never hear it. Or do I want to leave a legacy that lasts for eternity. And Jesus is worth it. In summary, we worship Jesus because he's worthy. Remember, he's earned our worship. And when you see what he's done, the way he chooses to love in the midst of failure, the fact that he is both king of kings, but also the suffering servant who died for me, when you compare these things, it's not a question for me anymore of do I, am I going to surrender, but how can I not? Who else is this good? Who else is this worthy? You, you, you might try to argue with me, but I don't, I don't think anyone else is. And this is the legacy that I want to leave. This 
is a more than life. And the question for us today is, are we going to see Jesus? Are we going to see the real Jesus? Are we going to be challenged over and over again to worship, to, to see more aspects of Jesus? And if you want to really take it to the next step, remember there's three of them. We got this like father who sent Jesus. I'm learning tons about Jesus right now through learning about the father. And we got this thing called the Holy Spirit too, right? Do we see the real God? And are we going to listen to him? Because this is how we leave a more than legacy. My prayer and hope for us is that we, that we would live more than lives by worshiping Jesus, by worshiping the only one who's worthy. I'm going to pray and the band's going to come up and um, we're going to sing one last song. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. You are, you are worth the worship. You are worth the praise. No one would, scarcely anyone would die for their friends, let alone for their enemies. You demonstrated your love for us and that while we were still enemies, you died for us. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Holy Spirit, would you move and cause us to look, to really see, to look at who you are. Would you cause us to really listen? to listen to who you are, Jesus, and what you're saying. Thank you for the lessons you've been able to teach us, God. And would you continue to teach us? We love you. In your name, amen.